0: What's up, family? You are tuned into Law & Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. Our country has more than 1.2 million people locked in prisons and jails. It's a dramatic number, and that number has risen in recent years. That's the number of people who are locked up who've been guilty according to courts, whether through trial or plea bargaining, etc. It's no surprise to our listeners that from time to time people are found to have been wrongly convicted and then released, an experience we can certainly celebrate, but what does accountability look like from wrongful imprisonment after release? A new ProPublica investigation shows that while there are some support systems, they're created and implemented differently in the states that offer support, but within those, many fall through the cracks. We're joined this morning by Anna Clark, a Detroit-based reporter for ProPublica who covers stories in Michigan and the Midwest. Anna is the journalist behind a new piece published earlier this week called They Were Wrongfully Convicted. Now they're denied compensation despite Michigan law. Anna, thank you for joining us.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Thank you
0: so glad to have you this morning so and your story focuses on michigan and we're going to move through that story in detail but i also want to let listeners know that a little later we'll touch on the national context and local context here in california of that story just a little bit understanding that support for people whose convictions have been overturned is dealt with on a state-by-state basis and so while there are similarities between different states they're handled differently I'll toss this one piece out now just for context, and then we'll go deeper later. Um, 38 states and Washington, D.C. have compensation statutes for people who were wrongfully imprisoned, offering varying varying amounts of money with a range of qualifying criteria that leaves 12 states that don't offer any financial compensation for exonerees. So uh, before we go further into that conversation Let's get to know Michigan's rules and what's going on there. And I want to do that through some of the people you profile in your reporting. Who is Marvin Cotton Jr.? Yeah, I'm sorry. And, And how did he find himself incarcerated? And later, how did he end up with an overturned conviction?
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, Well, I love that you're starting with people first, because as wonky as some of these laws get and how they compare across borders, um, it's ultimately about people's lives. Right. Um, So Marvin Cotton Jr. was um, about 20 years old when he was um, convicted of murder uh, here in Detroit, and he spent nearly two decades in prison before that conviction was overturned thanks to the conviction integrity unit um, in the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office. Wayne County being where Detroit is, um, so the prosecutor and you know court, you know, kind of signed off on it, and he um, stepped out of prison um, for the first time in October uh, 2020 and you know like a lot of people here in the state that has the fifth most exonerations nationwide he was really starting from scratch you know like he um he uh, you know he he'd, he'd, he'd spent about half his life in prison at that point you know he 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 was about um 40 years old and he was um you know not just like experiencing that kind of um you know, profound trauma um, that one has when you've gone through something like this, but you're also, you know, just trying to, like, figure out the basics, like, where am I going to live? How do I, you know, get an idea? Where, how do I um, support myself? Like, how do, like, what do I do? What do I do next? And um, this is where the compensation law is, kind of comes in, you know, it's like, the the theory behind um, these kind of statutes is to provide like a more, um, a quicker and more accessible means of support um, for people who've experienced such a grave injustice. And, um, you know, they're meant to, you know, account somewhat for, you know, what was done to them.
0: And I want to take a just a small step back into some of the experience he had that you described in your piece around just being released and trying to trying to figure out plans in life one of the things you described is that his conviction and his imprisonment still showed up on background checks and we know that that has implications for all kinds of things from getting housing to getting jobs um Can you talk a little bit more about just that experience for him and what the struggle was? And then we'll get a little deeper into the compensation piece.
1: Sure. Yeah. He said that, um, you know, even though his conviction was overturned, it, it, there was this like lag time, um, um, so that it was still showing up, you know, when he tried to, uh, rent an apartment, um, and so that meant that he was shut out of a lot of places and eventually when he did find a place um he w- he said he was charged like an excessively high um rent uh that he felt he had no choice to do. So he so he spent his first like more than a month just staying in a hotel. Um and then and then you know he moves into you know apartment that he says he's paying like these exorbitant, you know, rates for and while he'd like saved a little bit of money um uh you know before he got out like that went away real quick and he ended up um and finding a job like you know for the same reasons with like this kind of sh- still showing up on your background information like wasn't easy as either um and so he said he was then in- taking out a lot of these like high interest predatory loans um just to have some cash to get by
0: and so This is in Michigan where the state has a legislative process that is supposed to help with compensation for people like him. Right. So um, tell us about the wrongful imprisonment compensation act and its intention, the intention behind it.
1: Well, it was passed um, in about 2016, 2017, um, bipartisan basis and you know, it when it when it came through, like it it was meant to be it, like it was sort of a lot of the people who supported it like hoped it would be one of the most supportive statutes nationwide. It offers um fifty thousand dollars per year for each year of wrongful imprisonment, um, is what it's what it seems to say. And um it's uh, you know, so this is like something, you know, some people who are wrongfully convicted might file a federal lawsuit. They might get some kind of compensation from that at some point. Those take a long time. They can be expensive. And not a lot of people or not all the people, you know, who are wrongfully convicted are going to be eligible for that because with a federal lawsuit, you have to like prove that there was like unconstitutional misconduct, you know, that led to that wrongful conviction. And there is a certain portion of people who are wrongfully convicted for other reasons, like like just honest mistakes, like eyewitness, you know, mistakes or things like that. There's a, a, a thousand other reasons that wrongful convictions can happen. So like with Wicca, this uh, law here in Michigan, you know, is meant to provide like, a you know, a, a more, a swifter, you know, means of support for all people who are wrongfully imprisoned um, uh, that um, um, including those who might not, you know, be eligible for a federal lawsuit. Now, the challenges, and this is what Marvin Cotton ended up bumping up against, is that it's also like very, near, it is very narrowly defined. So only those whose wrongful convictions were overturned or reversed based on, quote, new evidence um, that proved their innocence um, are eligible for this. and that, And so new evidence as opposed to withheld evidence or um, shifting science or you know like insufficient evidence or a number of other things. Um, and and, and what, we're, what' what I found while doing this was that there's a lot of um there's a lot there's a number of people who are finding that their claims for wrongful compensation after they get out are are challenged by the state. Um, and in some cases they're shut out entirely.
0: And so going back to Marvin Cotton Jr.'s story, you said he was incarcerated for around 20 years. Um, Wicca should have entitled him to $50,000 per year of wrongful imprisonment. That adds up to somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. What was was the specific,
0: well, I was just going to ask, what was the specific case for him that prevented him from having access to those funds?
1: Well, the, what the uh, Wayne County CIU that um, re- reinvestigated his case found was that, you know, his trial had been, as they put it, fundamentally unfair because of um, uh, what they described as police misconduct that included, like, withheld evidence. This was not considered, quote, new evidence, <laughs> new evidence that um, mm-hmm. proved you were innocent. And in his case, you know, they... they it was um he was also like at the scene where this crime had happened um years ago. And 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 what the state was kind of saying when they challenged this claim was that, that there was um um there there was in his case that there was no like new evidence that proved by a clear and convincing standard that he was actually innocent. That they're distinguishing between, you know, it's one thing to have an unfair trial it's another thing to prove beyond doubt that you are in fact innocent
0: that's the voice of pro publica journalist anna clark whose latest reporting explores the failures of michigan's wrongful imprisonment compensation act you are listening to kpfa and the time is 8 41 in the morning Anna, i i want to explore this law a little bit more with some of the other uh, people that you profiled there i'm wondering if you could briefly Talk about both Dennis Thomasick's story as well as Gilbert Poole's story. These to to explore how this law has been implemented and impacted people, you know, very differently.
1: Sure. Um I'll start with I'll start with Gilbert Poole. Um he was mm-hmm. somebody who was incarcerated for in Michigan for 32 years um before he was exonerated in part because of DNA evidence. Um so he'd spent most of his life in prison at the time that he was released in uh 2021. Um, he was originally from North Carolina. He didn't actually even, you know, like live here, <laughs> like, you know, and, and he so when he got out, he was like, you know, his case was like reviewed by um an innocence project um here in the state and also the attorney general's office conviction integrity unit. And when he was released, um you know, he was, again, like really starting from scratch. He'd lost his parents. He had never used a cell phone. He had, um, he didn't know anyone, you know, outside of his lawyers or, you know, some people who showed up at his like welcome home party, like clergy members and so forth. He really didn't know anyone. And, you know, because of the publicity around his case, he said like somebody had, you know, donated some months in an apartment for him to live. And he was just there just, you know almost a little baffled like like what do i do now you know um and he filed um one of these claims you know for compensation and um it moved through like very speedily um it went how i think a lot of folks who apply hope their case will go he he like he um uh he said he received the money within um 6 months and it proved to be pretty essential to you know begin this process of you know rebuilding his life he um mm. he has he has a home now he um he has a, a, a he built a pole born he's really handy he built a pole born and he he's tinkers in there he collects things in there he's thinking about like you know um maybe starting a business he has a car transportation such a big thing for folks who uh get out um and he's you know he's going to therapy he's like you know he's 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 he went through something that was terrible but he does have some support to um make this next chapter of his life um a promising one and dennis dennis thomas had a different experience mm-hmm. so he was um he was somebody who was he was incarcerated uh for 10 years um before um his 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 conviction, his first conviction was like overturned, you know, by the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, he was retried for the same charges. and um and but the case was like really truly upended by all kinds of new evidence, just what this compensation law asks for. And he was, um acquitted within thirty minutes, you know, by the second jury. And um, you know, while in prison, he had, um missed the chance to see his kids grow up. He missed his, their graduations. He missed his son's wedding. He missed um, his mother died. Um, he missed seeing her again. And he filed for this compensation. Um, uh, uh, he's also like 60 years old. He, he's like, he's like, he worked in like the auto supply industry. It's like, I, 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 it's not that easy to get a new job in that, in these circumstances. And so he applied for this compensation and Um, His case was rejected, um, denied, uh, because even though there was new evidence in his case, um, the courts, like his conviction had initially been reversed based on errors in the first trial, like evidence issues. Um, And so as the Michigan law was written, uh, the courts right on up to the Supreme Court um, said that they had no choice but to um, deny him, even though the result was as they judges even said seemed to be awfully unfair so he got nothing
0: and and so we're talking about the wrongful imprisonment compensation act or wicca which is a michigan state law it's existed since 2017 and since then 103 people have filed claims for that money only 68 percent have received compensation. I'm wondering if you could just and and briefly cuz we're we're nearing the end of our time, but briefly from your understanding of the intention behind this law, were the legislators later legislators who passed it trying to create the system that exists now or or, or something different that would be more accessible that wouldn't be denying more than 30% of exonerees who apply for it?
1: Great question. Really great question. I'm curious to know that more about that myself there. um, From what I heard is like, you know, the, the folks who are the lead sponsor of this and many of its supporters, I mean, they tried to get this passed for more than a decade and to finally get it through. They told me like they, um, there was a number of compromises made from its original vision. And, um, one of the issues they were dealing with, with other lawmakers was, um, some who f- were just very concerned that somebody who was actually guilty um might receive money like that that was like the 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 fear that led to more stringent standards um being built into the law so um this new evidence requirement that um that they said was uh, supposed to you know ensure that um, these compensation claims aren't going to kind of like relitigate stuff that had already been heard at previous trials or so forth. And, you know, this really high standard um, clear and convincing more than most civil claims um, in California. It's a, it's a preponderance of evidence. So it's, uh, a more, um, more, it, it, you just have to prove that you're, it's more than likely <laughs> that you didn't do the thing. You don't have to like, you know, make it more you don't have that higher standard of certainty that they're asking for um and uh uh, yeah like that, that that they said that was necessary to get this through um in order to um you know uh address the concerns of those who were worried that uh it would uh benefit people who might not be quote unquote wholly deserving and Um, But, you know, as we're seeing, you know, some years of this law and practices, we're seeing like, you know, uh, a number of people who are (laughs) like very much do have like um, uh, uh, a a claim here um, and they're either being shut out entirely or only getting a portion of what the law seemed to promise.
0: So, Anna, we just have about 30 seconds, but I want to ask, I know you mentioned California's similar law. We're talking about uh, your story focused on Michigan's law. I'm just wondering in the process of your reporting, what did you learn in surveying these systems from state to state and how they function differently or how they uh, take responsibility and compensation for people who've been wrongfully imprisoned?
1: It varies a lot. And that's that those same fears um, seem to be embedded in a lot of the different state laws, this question of like, what counts as actually innocent is, um, are we going to compensate people for wrongful convictions and not just, you know, like, you know, or, or how, how are we going to do this? Um, some states, you know, don't um, allow, they exclude claims if you pled guilty. They exclude claims if you had previous felony convictions that had nothing to do with the wrongful conviction. Um, uh, DNA evidence is the only exoneration um, allowed, um, uh, reason allowed, like in the state of Missouri. Um, And as as you said at the top, like some some places just don't have any statute at all. So they vary quite a lot. And I think it um, really gets at the heart of how we wrestle with atonement and reparations for um, the worst excesses of our um, criminal justice system.
0: I think that's an important point and a good point to end on. Anna, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us and for your work.
1: Thank you so much. I'm grateful.
2: You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive.